treat a contract almost like a car that you're going to repair. When you have a broken car, you don't walk up to it and just say, you know, we really need to issue spot. Think about all the things that could go wrong. You say, okay, well, this problem is with this part and that part has eight subcomponents. Let's check each subcomponent and this subcomponent is supposed to do this. So let's make sure it does this. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name is Camilla and I am a current trainee solicitor. Um, I'm used to saying future trainee solicitor and this is the second podcast that I've done where where I've actually been a trainee so I'm just trying to change the the habit of a lifetime it seems two years of saying future trainee solicitor Um, but yes uh, we are lucky to be joined by Laura Frederick today who is an ex-big law and ex-Tesla commercial contracts lawyer she is also founder of How to Contract which is a practical training platform. And she's also author of the Amazon best-selling book, Practical Tips on How to Contract. Laura is also founder of her very own law firm, Laura Frederick Law PLLC. So without further ado, let's hand over to Laura. Um, We're really excited to welcome her on the show today to find out all about her career history and um, more about Um, how to contract. So yeah, welcome, Laura. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And I wondered if you could start off the episode just by explaining um, to the listeners a little bit about why you decided to become a lawyer in the first place. Yeah, so I was one of those people who didn't plan to be a lawyer. I was in college studying international economics, and I wanted to do business But then when it came time to uh, keep going in my education, I realized I had not know a lot of math in order to get an MBA or a master's in economics. So I said, well, you know what? I think I'll just go get a law degree instead because I'm I'm good at words and I can do those. Thinking that maybe I wouldn't even be a lawyer. I might do something else. Um, But yeah, so I kind of stumbled into it. And uh, but... After graduating law school, I still wasn't sure, but then once I settled into commercial contracts, um, I really found, I fell in love and just have always enjoyed it so much. So very happy I stumbled on this path. I can, I'm sure many of our listeners can resonate, um, not 
think liking math I think um <laughs> and then and then you get to business law and then you find out there's tax involved which is more numbers but <laughs> exactly I stay away from the tax I you know actually it was funny because I did a summer internship during law school at an international tax firm because I was very interested in international so I kept trying to find international and I ended up there and it was really informative because I found out I really hate dealing with regulations. I just do not enjoy it. I've never enjoyed it ever in my career. And that summer trying to work with a tax code, I just found perplexing and overwhelming. So I definitely like the more freestyle uh, creativity that comes with contracts. And I can't wait to find out more about that um, a bit later on in the episode. So I just wondered... um, if you'd explain to us what the how to contract platform is and why you decided to start it. Yeah. So I'd been an attorney for 24 years when I opened up my own firm in in 2019. And I spent that whole time really searching for practical training. It's even I had come up through law firms where you do get some good training, but then at a certain point around the fourth, fifth year of practice, it's it becomes really hard to learn the the details of contracting. You can learn high level, you can learn about cases and statutes and you know, but it to try and become better at drafting and negotiating. And to find someone who will show an experienced lawyer how to do that is pretty tough. And so I decided when I had my own firm, I was like, you know what? I can do this now. I'm at a point in my career where I can give back. Um, so I just started posting some tips on LinkedIn and that turned into the book. And then that turned into how to contract where I'd sort of provided all the kinds of training that I wish I had as an attorney over my career and put it all on one platform and offered it to the world. That's that's brilliant. And I've, I've seen some of your um, LinkedIn posts and I think they're uh, very unusual and a brilliant way of um yeah, providing tips on on contracting. So I will leave a link to your LinkedIn page in the description box of the podcast so that our listeners can connect with you and, and have a look at them as well. Um, and where does your passion from contracts stem from? I think what I love about it is because contracts are about coming together. And and I'm not talking about kind of settlement contracts, litigation-related contracts, but really the pure business contracts that I work on, It's there's a lot of hope and excitement about doing something together. So I love being part of that. I love enabling that. And I love helping sh- to make sure that the parties are on the same page and understand what they're trying to do and that all the risks are, are managed appropriately and and written in a way that makes sense. So it becomes like a big puzzle for me. And I've always been a puzzle person. And so I think the appeal of putting together that contract as a puzzle uh, to help business people accomplish their goals and solve their problems is so fulfilling for me and so much fun. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's nice that it's a puzzle with words in in a sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and so what are the biggest challenges that you faced working as a lawyer in-house and in private practice? 
And um, did the experiences that you've that you've had shape the way um, that how to contract has sort of come about, or or just the platform in general? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest challenges for me was again trying to improve. It's it's because I always wanted to do better. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome with people who work with contracts because we all will never know everything. It doesn't matter how many years you work, how long you do this, there's still a ton of stuff you don't know. And so that becomes very overwhelming and there's a lot of self-doubt. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, people are going to figure it out soon. So I think that kind of imposter syndrome, that feeling like I wasn't good enough, um, no matter how hard I tried or how much I studied, it always felt like I didn't know everything and that I wanted to know. So I think for me, that was a lot of it. And a lot of why I created How to Contract and why I structured the advice and training like I do is to really give people the tools. So I treat a contract almost like a car that you're going to repair. So when you a car, when you have a broken car, you don't walk up to it and just say, oh, look at, you know, we really need to issue spot and think about all the things that could go wrong. You know, that doesn't help anybody. You say, okay, well, this problem is with this sec with this part and that part has eight subcomponents and let's check each subcomponent and this subcomponent is supposed to do this so let's make sure it does this and so contracts are like that too where you just take them apart and you look at each part by itself and make sure it works and so because that knowing those facts and those individual pieces of information about how to approach a contract, I feel a lot better. It reduces my anxiety. It makes me feel more empowered, like I know what I'm doing. So that's why I created How to Contract is really a collection of a lot of individual tips about contracting rather than a high level 10,000 foot view kind of approach. And I'm just dying to find out one or two of your top uh, contract drafting and negotiating tips. So I wondered if you could share some with us. Yeah. So one of the ones, this is the one I always feel like is most important, uh, is to say everything once in a contract. And it's hard when you're starting out because you see all these kind of gobbledygook long sentences with all these extra words. And it feels like you should say something three times to make sure. And, but it's what I've found in my years of practice and handling commercial disputes over the years is it's often, and I think most common to to have problems based on that repetitive language. So you'll say something one way and then say kind of the same thing another way in another section. And so then the courts are left wondering, or, or even the business people reading the contract are saying, well, which, which one is right and why are they different and why are they both in the same contract? So learning to write a contract that only covers each concept once is, it, and I think that's one of my biggest mistakes that I used to make. I still probably do, but I try not to. Um, and so that is keeping everything to one concept and making sure you don't repeat yourself is a great way to solve that. Another easy mistake that you can avoid is using terminology that's very similar. For example, if you have a technology license and you name one party the licensor and one party the licensee, 
Well, I can tell you that as you read contracts with the licensure shall grant to licensee and licensee shall give to license, your head just, you get into a trance and it's very hard to focus. So I'm a believer, never ever use similar words for defined terms like that. Call it company and contractor or company or the company's names. And avoiding those kind of similar names definitely helps avoid mistakes. I really like that. I definitely have had my head in a spin trying to work out license or licensee, and then you forget which one is which because they sound so similar. Exactly. And that's everybody. And it doesn't matter. And no matter how hard you focus and really try and concentrate, you know, I've been doing this forever. I still screw it up when I try and read those kinds of things. So even if, let's say I'm working with a uh, somebody where they insist on having those terms, when I'm doing my review, I actually go in and change it. And I replace it all with something that's easier for me to uh, process. And then before I deliver it back to the counterparty or the client who wants license or licensee, I change it back. So anything that we can do to kind of make our prevent ourselves from making those mistakes, like figure out little cheats uh, to make it easier for us. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for, sh- for sharing your tips. And sure. let's flip it to the other side. What are some of the biggest drafting or negotiating mistakes that people tend to make? And how do you think those can be avoided? Yeah, I think a lot of it is... Um, make provide or I should say and it depends on what kind of role you have but I believe that one of the biggest problems is um, doing what I call uh, C level effort, a level effort for a level work and C level effort for C level work so you could spend a hundred hours working on a non-disclosure agreement, a three-page contract. I really, I could find a way to spend 100 hours because I want to go look up this and I should go look up that. And it's just not appropriate. And so, but then there are very big transactions with very important strategic contracts that end up not getting that kind of review that they need because you're so busy doing all these little deals. So, one of the biggest mistakes I think a lot of lawyers make is they let the quantity of work they're doing dictate how much time they spend on everything. And what we have to remember is that we are, in a sense, our core purpose is as risk managers. And we're helping our clients and our companies manage their risk through contracts. And so we should be, as risk managers, spending most of our time on the riskier things and less time on the lower risk. And it's hard to do, especially when you're newer at practicing, to understand the difference. And what I always suggest is asking for time estimates from the people assigning work, whether it's a client or a a manager or a partner, and saying, how much time do you expect this to take? And that helps the newer person know, oh, this is a 20-hour job. I thought it was only going to be two. And it says you have a disconnect on what you're supposed to do. Or that you were thinking it was a 20-hour job and it was really only a two-hour job. So I find those time estimates, even if they're just guidelines, really help keep you focused on A-level effort for A-level work and C-level effort for C-level work. That's great advice and very uh, implementable. So I think I'm definitely going to go and and start doing that um, going forward because I do find myself just 
going down rabbit holes sometimes and just researching and researching and everything to the end degree and it's sometimes I just I know I'm spending too long on things so (laughs) that's a great piece of advice so thank you for that I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. And I wondered if you have any advice for junior or trainee lawyers who are just starting up in their legal careers about how they can be successful. Yeah. So I think for junior lawyers and trainees, I th- I believe one thing to keep in mind is that you are not, ex- even though you've got legal training, you're not an expert at the yet at the practical implementation of the law. You know, you're not expert contract drafters and negotiators yet. But what you can do very, very well is the things that are within your control and expertise, such as following directions or, you know, meeting a deadline or communicating with clarity about where you are or asking questions. And I think doing the things that are in your control and expertise really, really well and becoming a dependable and reliable um, support person for the other people you're working with, it goes a long way. Because I know when I started out, I was I was always so I was almost embarrassed that I didn't know more, and but nobody expects the junior person to know everything yet. But we do. If I give you instructions and say do three things, then I don't want you to come back and have only done two, and not even mention that you didn't do the three, and me trying to figure it out. So, and again, communication clarity. And following directions and uh, timeliness and reliability is just so important. And so to do those things, you can do well, well, and, um, you know, execute uh, on those. Yeah, it's just doing the small things well that you, that are within your control, like making sure that you don't have typos or just doing things like that, because that will, those are avoidable mistakes in my eyes. Um, so I think... Yeah, the big things I suppose you're not expected to know, but the small things, like you, like you said. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's yeah, and just knowing that, and and it's in a sense, it's like what you can control, and you can control your typos, and you can make those decisions. You don't need a, you know, ten years of contract experience to understand how not to make a typo. Um, but some of the other nuances you're still learning. So those, of course, you will not be able to do as well. Um, yeah, for sure. 
And so I mentioned in the introduction that you are founder of your of your own law firm. Um, and I, I think that's amazing and so inspirational. And I just wondered if you could tell us more about why you decided to set up your own firm. Yeah, so I had been, I'd never worked for myself. I'd always been employed uh, for the, you know, I did 10 years in law firms and then 14 years as in-house counsel and never expected to be a business owner. But I found myself, I was working at Tesla at the time, which was an amazing job. I loved it so much. And I was doing super cool work, amazing, working with amazing people, you know, on a mission to save the world. And I still had something missing and I was trying to figure out what it was. And it took me a long time. I interviewed at a couple of places and I, I was like, it's not better. And what I realized was I needed more flexibility and I wanted more freedom over my life um, in terms of the clients I worked with, the hours I worked, the projects I did everything about my life i just wa- i was craving that freedom and i knew that the only way i'd get that freedom was to be my own boss and so it was a big leap of faith i'd never run a law firm before i had no clients when i left my job i had 8 months of living expenses you know in the bank and i was like okay well let me try and worst case scenario i'm a total failure and after 6 months i'll go find a job um but it worked out really well. Within a month or so, I started getting clients and yeah, and never had to look back. So it's um, it's very, very scary to leave the comfort of an employer. But I can tell you, it's I'm so much more security now because if one, you know, before it was like I was employed, if I got fired, it was the end of the world. You know, it was a financial disaster, emotional, psychological disaster. Now I have multiple clients. And if one leaves, it's like, oh, okay, well, I've got these other clients still. So I'm fine. And I guess, you know, and I'll add another client or two here and there. And you're just, you, you've diversified your income and it provides so much less stress and anxiety to be in that kind of situation. So I definitely recommend it. Well, congratulations on the success of your firm. Um, I think it's so inspirational. And I'm sure there are many other um, women out there as well who are thinking of setting up their own businesses. Um, And I wondered if you have just some general uh, advice for them. Yeah, I think it's, you know, to trust that you can, because that was the hardest part for me. It was, I had so much fear of, what if everything is terrible? And you have this feeling like, okay, I'm safe in my job because I get X X payment and salary every two weeks or month or whatever it is. And it's, but it's a false illusion of safety because you just, you're so dependent on other people and the emotions and the security. So much of your life is just dependent on everyone else and to become your own boss where you depend on you and your success depends on your hard work, but then your hard work and the success that comes from it is all yours. So I get to keep the profit when I'm doing well. I get to decide not to do so much. So my advice is just really trust in yourself, trust that you can I came to the conclusion I'd been successful in school. I've been successful in my jobs. Why did I think I would be a big failure at this? So if you can just let go of that self-doubt 
and just trust yourself and your capabilities um, that you can make it work, or you'll have the judgment to decide it's not for you and then make a change. But just trust in yourself. Excellent advice. And so when I was doing some research on you um, for the preparation of this podcast, I came across a little someone called Benny. Uh, I just <laughs> had to ask you about him because, yeah, I was just I just had to ask you. Yeah. So tell us who Benny is and what his role is in the success of How to Contract. So Benny is my rescue dog and he is a, this peaceful, calm dog. He's just adore, adore him. My kids call him the spicy sausage. And the reason is because he's a mixed breed of a Datsun, the little wiener dogs and a beagle. So his neck is like, two times the size of his head uh, because he's got the beagle body, but the little Datsun face. And so it's, he's just this wonderful inspiration. I have an office that looks out over the front of my yard with bird baths and squirrels. And he just sits and watches it and we'll have squirrels sitting on the ledge and he just peacefully looks at the squirrel. It's so I call him my inspiration and he's in a lot of my comics that I do or cartoons that I post with my contract tips. Um, so he, you know, keeps my life happy. He sounds delightful. Uh, <laughs> so, so cute. And um, how can people get in touch with you or follow? Yeah. Follow you online or get in touch with, with yeah. you, follow you on how to contract. Yeah, the best way is LinkedIn. And I connect with everybody. So please connect with me. I love being connected with people around the world. Because then our I see your stuff in my feed, you see my stuff in your feed. And it's just a wonderful uh, community of people on LinkedIn who talk about contracts. And there's a very supportive environment. I did Twitter for a little bit, it just wasn't for me, because it was too, too quick. And and not enough um, nuance. And I like the opportunity to have asynchronous conversations with people. A lot of my to- uh, contract tips that I post each day will get 100 plus comments because lawyers will start discussing some nuance of some provision or concept and we'll have lots of back and forth and people join in and it's all very you know, respectful and positive and people ask questions and somebody says, well, my experience has been this. And I, you know, I'm doing it. I'm actually on, I started posting every day, August 3rd, 2020, and I haven't missed a day yet. And what keeps me going is because it's so fun in the comments, talking about the tips with everybody. So I'd love for people to join in those comments, come and talk with us. If you have a question, ask it in the comments. I try to reply to everyone if I can. So LinkedIn is definitely where I live. But then you can also go to howtocontract.com and and see all our stuff there. We have a lot of free resources as well, videos, checklists, things like that that you can download. And um, yeah, so those are the two best places to find me. Brilliant. Okay. And I'm going to leave all all of those details in the description box of the podcast so that our listeners can easily find those. Um, but yeah, that that's the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much, Laura, for, for being a guest. It's been great to hear about your experiences 
um, and your top contracting tips um, and mistakes. And yeah, I'm looking forward to going and checking out um, how to contract. Awesome. Well, it was so nice to meet you and I really appreciate you having me on. No, it's it's been a pleasure. And thank you to the listeners as well um, for tuning in and we will see you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.